Hey everybody, I'm Brian Keane from Brian Keane Fitness. This is my episode on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Enjoy. Coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Just a, a broken approach. You started yourself off on the wrong foot and as a result you couldn't stick and sustain it you know the analogy i use is it's like trying to run a marathon and then chopping off one of your legs before you run like you might get to the finish line but you've just made it considerably harder for yourself so making small changes that you can stick to is normally the right approach for that yes welcome back to the show we have a great episode coming up for you with a man who knows a thing or two about the mindset of weight loss nutrition his new book the keen edge is out now we have the one and only Brian Keane. Just before we dive in, we're going to go back to the competition that we ran a few weeks ago with Max Sport Ireland, Ireland's leading fitness and gym equipment provider. They kindly gave us a HIT Fitness premium massage gun worth over €250 Euro to give away to a lucky listener of the show. We can reveal today that the winner was Ross Sheridan from County Cavan. We contacted Ross at the end of last week and he said he was over the moon and thrilled to have won the competition. Ross said it will help with his recovery from his football endeavours and his training this year. So here's to you, Ross, and here's to Max Sport. Thanks very much again, and thanks to everyone who entered. We're going to have more competitions coming up, so keep your eyes peeled, and thanks very much for listening to the show. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance, what we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons, and learnings. Today we spoke with Brian Keane, fitness coach, nutritionist, best-selling author, and podcast host. Brian is a qualified personal trainer, sports nutritionist, and strength and conditioning coach. He is the best-selling author of the book, The Fitness Mindset, and has traveled the world as a professional speaker, having also completed several remarkable endurance events. He hosts a very popular The Brian Keane podcast, and is a former primary school teacher, model, now turned fitness entrepreneur. Today we speak about what mastering the mindset for real refers to, based on the words on the cover of his new book, The Keen Edge. We explore self-sabotage, systems, willpower, and habits, and how to stick with a plan. Brian gives us a nutrition seminar on intermittent fasting, insulin sensitivity, fat loss, and helps us understand why for some, it could have a place as a diet plan. We learn about how to not press the fuck your button on a diet and the value of a reset if this happens. Brian unpacks what's important now as a working philosophy for life and how he created a scalable and very successful business. Brian Keane, welcome to the show. How are things? Lads, thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to chatting. Brian, what's it like walking through town and coming over to, you know, somewhere like Eason's or Hodges and Fidges or, or wherever it is, seeing your book out there? What's that feel like? <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> like, it feels weird. It's the same as when you get that glance from somebody that definitely recognizes you from social media or from something else. Actually, the weirdest one that ever happened was I was standing outside the, um, the gym waiting for it to open about five months ago. And just outside of lockdown and I was chatting to the guy as we were waiting for it to open and he was like your voice sounds familiar <laughs> I, I, I was like I was like oh 
podcast he was like that's it he goes he goes i'm not on social media he goes but i recognize your voice he listened to my podcast um so that's right up there with walking by easton's and bookstores and seeing my face <laughs> i thought you were going to say waiting for the pub to open and it's like oh this is going to take a different angle now <laughs> yeah 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 we're done well, well yeah yeah that's a different story different podcast <laughs> So look, we're getting into the formalities, Brian. We're looking at the keen edge. It's here in front of us and mastering the mindset for real. Those are the two words that really stood out to us actually from your cover. And we're curious, what's for real? What's that all about? What's that mean? When it comes to mastering the mindset and fat loss and body composition, one of the things that a lot of my clients struggle with, and I've been nearly 10 years working in the health, fitness and wellness industry with people. I used to be a primary school teacher and then transitioned out of that about 10 years ago and a lot of people I've worked with over the years have had some idea of nutrition and training and what they should do you know eating less or eating less calories and moving more to lose body fat etc but they were struggling and still falling off plan and weren't kind of hitting their end goal with what they were looking to do and from the last few years, I put a big focus on the mindset element so helping people deal with things like their self-sabotage helping people approach nutrition the right way like my philosophy has and probably always will be that most nutritional plans or diets can potentially work if you find what works best for you you know i'm a little bit biased that you have a plan that has foods that you enjoy that is in alignment with your goals and that is sustainable for you with your lifestyle and schedule because if you can fit a diet into that and the approach you're going to have long-term sustainability with it but when it comes to mastering the mindset for it and making sure that you're able to do it for real and have it for lasting fat loss, it's how you approach your nutrition that's the key. And the book breaks down a lot of the misconceptions around diets. You know, I talk about the diet paradox that people have this opinion that the best way or worse, the only way to lose body fat or lose weight is to quote unquote diet when that's not true. Like if you're dieting and following some form of caloric restriction, which is effectively how every diet works. You know, if you're with a slimming club or you're following a plant-based diet or a macros diet or a clean eating or whatever it is, they all work off caloric restriction. That's just, you know, it's the nutritional science. But whether you know it or not, or whether you're aware that you're in that caloric deficit or not, and that diet philosophy is broken because people can only drop calories or eat very little food for so long before they either fall off track and then have this binge restrict cycle that comes alongside it, or they get a reduction in metabolic rate, i.e. they're not consuming enough food, or they're eating 1,200 calories, enough that's for a seven-year-old girl, and their metabolism starts to slow down so that they're moving around less, and things like their neat activity, their non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, where they're moving around and walking around goes down, and if they're working out, the intensity of the workouts go down, so they're burning less calories, etc. And you know the analogy I use for increasing your metabolic rate through resistance training, through sleep, et cetera, is it's like making money while you sleep. It's the calorie burning equivalent of that. And the diet philosophy or the diet approach or the diet mindset doesn't take any of that into account. And that's why people struggle with it. So I wanted to write a book. This sounds really obvious, lads, but I wanted to write a book that hasn't been written. And I didn't have a resource to send my clients or the people who were following me online I didn't have a single resource. You know, I could send them somewhere on a book for emotional eating or a book on intermittent fasting or a book on a ketogenic diet or a book on basic nutritional nutritional principles, but nothing that addressed the mindset of your approach 
to a nutritional plan or to a diet in general. Um, so that was kind of the reason for it. And that's kind of what I mean by, you know, mastering your mindset for real lasting fat loss. Excellent. Going into the new year, self-sabotage, we see it loads, people start diets and they drop off in around three weeks into January, into February. Why do people self-sabotage and what can they do to stop it? It's a great question and interesting because it's a bit of a Pandora's box based on the person, but some of the common trends and some of the common reasons that people self-sabotage is one, that what they were doing was completely unsustainable. So that all or nothing approach where somebody goes from not working out that regularly or not making that conscious of food choices to now in January, third week of January, fourth week of January, coming in February, working out several times a week and, you know, eating salad for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No, I'm exaggerating for effect, but like <laughs> the, the dietary equivalent of that. And nobody's going to be able to make that many changes that soon and be able to stick to it. So self-sabotage shows up in that instance from just a, a broken approach. You started yourself off on the wrong foot. And as a result, you couldn't stick and sustain it. You know, the analogy I use is it's like trying to run a marathon and then chopping off one of your legs before you run. Like you might get to the finish line, but you've just made it considerably harder for yourself. So making small changes that you can stick to is normally the right approach for that. So when it comes to self-sabotage, it's that. Also not having the tools and a little bit of nutritional education on how calories work more so than you know food quantity and the two tools that i give that are very popular in the book is one not pressing the fuck it button with your nutrition i.e you've had a bad meal on or a let me rephrase an unsupportive meal choice at saturday for breakfast you had a big fry up and then you press the fuck it button and say well if i'll start back on monday you know the weekend's gone now you know it's the dietary equivalent of if you think about it in the real world of driving down the motorway and getting a flat tire and then getting out of your car and slashing the other three tires because one went flat like that's the dietary equivalent of it and the two like talk about in the book is you know don't press the fuck it button if you fall off track with your breakfast or you fall off track on a saturday you get back on track in the next meal and you do that consistently over time. And the other tool that kind of piggybacks off that is you reset if you fall off track. If you do have a fry up on a Saturday morning, and I'm a big believer in, you know, eat the foods you enjoy. You know, if you love a fry up, factor it into your meal plan. If you love a few pints at the weekend, factor it into your plan. If you love chocolate and you, you're like me and you don't have a sweet tooth, you have sweet teeth, you, like where I need to have a little bit of chocolate in my plan every day or else I just don't feel like life is worth living, then that's my approach. So it works for me. And factoring that in is going to be the key. But with falling off track, if you do, you reset and you get back on plan. You don't let one meal turn into a bad day. You don't let the weekend turn into the next week and you reset and you get back on plan again. And those two tools, not pressing the fucker button mixed with resetting if you do, can be really helpful with self-sabotage, particularly if you're not following an unsustainable plan to begin with. And when you're then trying to stick with it, so we all love momentum and progress is addictive, taking taking the words straight from your world. How do how do we ensure that you know we, we really do keep going? Because as an example, you know the two of us here are trying intermittent fasting at the moment. I'm pro I'm finding it pretty hard because I'm missing my breakfast in the morning, but I'm trying to stick with it. So how can we stick with things that we really want to that bit longer? Oh, I love that. I definitely want to come back to the reasoning for the intermittent fasting because I'm curious as somebody that's, that's the nutritionist, <laughs> uh, so I definitely will double back on that. But when it comes to 
sticking to it. And when it comes to progress being addictive, yes, progress is addictive, but the right kind of progress is also important. So I just want to clarify on that because I talk about in the book, the difference between process and outcome when it comes to nutrition and process driven method versus the outcome driven method. So if you think of a slimming club or any traditional diet that isn't grounded in any basic nutritional principles, when I think of like some of the slimming clubs that have points and sins and all these things, it's like, like as a nutritionist, I'm like, where do these philosophies come up with? It's literally like a bunch of monkeys in a room throwing darts at a dartboard going, boom, that's X amount of sins. Boom, that's Y amount of you know points. It's not grounded in any nutritional philosophy at all. Well, maybe it's grounded in nutritional philosophy. It's not grounded in any nutritional principles. And a plan like that are generally focused on outcome. It's all about how you get to the end goal. So if the goal is to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds or five kilos or 10 kilos or whatever it is, the language you use for your metric of tracking, the focus is on the outcome. So you go to these clubs, you do your weigh in. And if you have your weight is down, you get a pat on the back and a clap. If it's not, it's kind of a hush, you know, you did bad this week. You know, I have a bit of an issue with those clubs. There's pros and cons. I like the accountability element. I like the community element, but you know, tracking a metric like weight, something that's so easy to change and fluctuate on a daily basis is not a good approach. It's the difference I talk about in the first part of the book about tracking fat loss versus weight loss and how they're two different things completely. You know, fat loss is reducing the amount of fat in your body. Weight loss is lowering the numbers on a scale. And when it comes to that momentum and building on that progress, if you're on an outcome-driven program that's only focused on getting the weight down, even if you are progressing it's probably going to set you back to step one down the line. It's the traditional, you know, the rebound or the rebound after the rebound when it comes to a plan where, you know, you lose 10 pounds and then you go back eating, quote unquote, the way you always eat. And then you're up 15 pounds. So now you're in a net plus a five pound gain because of the restriction. Whereas something that's process driven, which I talk about, like the nutritional plan, how you approach it, focuses on your process. It's okay. What am I doing to lose this weight? What am I doing to reduce my body fat? Am I moving more? Am I following potentially an exercise regimen that I can stick to? You know, I, a big believer as someone who loves to work out myself, the people don't, there's people who don't enjoy working out. And my question to them and the people I work with is always, well, what do you enjoy doing? What do you like? Yeah. You might not like the gym, but Maybe you like swimming, or if you don't like swimming, maybe you should go try hiking, or if you don't like hiking, try biking or cycling. There's loads of activities, like a good little cue for people who are looking to just, you know, lose body fat, feel better, move more. If you can find an exercise program that doesn't feel like an exercise program, you know, if you love five-a-side football, or you love playing gar, or you love playing soccer or basketball, like if that doesn't feel like exercise to you, then you should probably build it into your plan. It's a really good approach for most people. And that process-driven approach when it comes to nutrition is important because if you have two people, I give two examples in the book where you have one person who lost 20 pounds or you know lost 10 kilos with just crash dieting. They've massively reduced calories and they've lost their 10 kilos over the space of you know several weeks, four weeks. And you have another person who lost 10 kilos because they went into a slight caloric deficit. They've been moving more and engaging in an exercise regimen that they enjoy. And they've both lost 10, or, you know, 10 kilos or 20 pounds. 
from the outside, the end goal is the same, but the process was completely different. And one person is going to probably feel a lot more confident in themselves. They'll feel better about themselves and they'll be able to sustain and stick to their journey. The other person who crashed dieted and didn't actually educate themselves on any basic nutrition principles, didn't make any behavioral pattern changes in their life, are going to end up back where they started at some point once they go back eating, quote unquote, the way they always did. So that's what I mean by building on progress and getting addicted to progress, but just make sure you're doing it in the right way. I love this because it builds off Scott Adams and talking about systems versus goals. We all set goals, but two people in a race set the same goal of winning it. One of them wins, one of them doesn't. But the most important thing is the system or the process that you put in. How much importance do you put to creating the right structure and how much do we focus on the person being to blame when a diet fails? So I start a diet in January. I don't continue on past the third week. I start saying, I'm not good at diets. I can't do it. I can't look at my nutrition correctly. Instead, maybe I just didn't put the right process or system in place. How important is that? I think it's everything. I think, you know, it's the old, anytime I chat to other trainers or nutritionists, we'll regularly get into it. It's it's one of those um, question of do diets fail people or do people fail diets? And I think the answer is obviously somewhere in the middle for the most part. Like when it comes to an approach and that self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm no good at dieting is a very slippery slope to fall down. And it's the language people use. And it's not supportive and it's not helpful. Like, it's the same as saying, you know, I'm not good at sports. I'm like, but have you tried every sport in the world? Like, you know, maybe you're fucking awesome at table tennis. Like, you know, like, so it depends. And that's how diets are with people. It's like, yeah, you might not be great with this diet, you know, intermittent fasting, ketogenic, tracking calories, etc. But you might be good with another diet that works better for you. And I think it's that approach that's the the, uh, the way you approach it in the system versus the actual diet that's important. I'm curious though, just to pull it back, why intermittent fasting, lads? Like, And I'm a big fan, just to, to clarify, because there's a chapter in the book talking on the pros and cons of intermittent fasting and who it's for, but what's your reasoning for it? Well, I think we're both inspired by Dr. Andrew Huberman, um, Huberman Lab podcast, if you've heard it. Yeah, yeah like it's fantastic. David yeah. Sinclair and longevity, that kind of piqued our interest. But before that, even that bit of science... No, dad of two, more sedentary, figured if I looked at my window of eating, especially evenings, and just being cleaner and really thinking about what's going into my into me more. So I'm finding having that more concentrated window of eating, yeah, there might be obviously fewer calories going in, but the calories that go in are pretty pretty good for the most part because I know I've got six to seven hours I'm gonna re- eat really well and from seven o'clock on no sugar stuff like that it's made I, I see the difference already you know, in a couple of weeks so kind of selfishly dad and sitting down a little bit more it's probably why i leaned into it personally yeah it wouldn't be far off i have a selfish reason as well indigestion in the morning kind of feeling sluggish in the morning i was like is there anything i can do sleep better try to improve that sleep hygiene done all that but then i thought i'm picking up something after eight o'clock in the evening every night just because i'm sitting down at that stage and i might be a bit bored and then I don't really feel like I need breakfast, but I have porridge most mornings. So I just said, oh, maybe if I just try this after hearing the, the podcast, I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And it wasn't got to do with all that macro autophagy and longevity. I wish it was. I wish I was that <laughs> destined to focus on my life down the line, but purely got to do with probably waking up in the morning and feeling a bit sluggish. And Brian, like you obviously asking us the question, both of us doing the same thing. We're curious about the insulin sensitivity piece and kind of Kiran kind of alluded to there breakfast, you know, we 
is it crunchy nut cornflakes or is it you know the white the white bread or what is it but i think that bit of the sugar in the morning is something that you know us as irish people could think about and maybe look at and maybe think about if you are having breakfast what are you eating for breakfast so love to just hear your sense as to intermittent fasting and you know you're you're the expert you're the nutritionist or not yeah no i and my follow-up question which i think i know the answer to already but just i'll get you to before i answer are you, do you both find it's currently working well for what you're looking to do yeah i feel i definitely don't get indigestion in the morning anyway and i kind of don't feel sluggish kind of feel like there's more energy and then selfishly as well i love 12 o'clock when that comes around and i get to absolutely mill some food or really get into the food between that period and i'm also after realizing just writing down that breakfast is break fast from the way you said it break your fast overnight <laughs> and here and brian for i just i think psychologically knowing in the evenings having a really good dinner you know maybe a cup of tea or whatever but come 7 seven thirty, not kind of going for chocolate which which can happen we're a little tired and you know you're a dad and sleep isn't amazing so i think that's really fortified my mindset and, and built mental toughness personally over the last couple of weeks is even piggybacking onto the points kiran said yeah and the reason i asked that question and i'll get into my views on it as well and the um uh, in terms of the fat adaption and the insulin sensitivity etc that can come with it that's the philosophy of the book asking is what i'm doing now currently helping me with my goal and in the case of both of you you know david and kiran with the intermittent fasting as of now, you both know that, you know, I want it for whatever body composition reasons or indigestion reasons, et cetera. That's how you check in with different approaches to nutrition. And intermittent fasting is a great example of that. And the, I talk about it in the book that I think it's an amazing option for some people. And I think it doesn't work for others, particularly when it comes to body composition. So if you're somebody who, and again, this is a, a real Irish thing, and I lived in the UK, it's very similar in the UK as well, that, you know, breakfast, the most important meal of the day, it's kind of hardwired and ingrained in a lot of people's minds. And for some people, there's a huge freedom in realizing that you actually don't have to eat in the morning. It's totally fine if you don't. But for others who are hungry when they wake up, your food choices play a role. There's a big difference between having a bowl of porridge with the slow release energy of a complex carb versus, you know, crunching up cornflakes. Big, big difference, miles apart in terms of nutritional density and effects on blood sugar levels, etc. So the food choice is important. So when it comes to breakfast, you know, breaking your fast, again, I love that. When it comes to breakfast, it's does breakfast support you? Does it serve you? Is it helping you with your overall nutrition? Some people will go on an intermittent fasting plan and their food choices later in the day will take a downward spiral because they're starving. And that's one of the things you have to mitigate if you're following an intermittent fasting protocol. Whereas somebody else, you're going to get the stabilization of blood sugar levels because, you know, your, your body, if you think about your body, when I talk about fat adapted states or i.e. when you're fasting in the morning, you're making yourself what's called metabolically flexible. It's where you're switching from one energy source to another. So most people are, you know, glucose or, or carbohydrate burners, you know, glucose, glycogen, et cetera. With the carbohydrates we're burning, that's what we're using for fuel. It's what our brain's using for fuel. Whereas when you either switch to a low carbohydrate diet or start to follow an intermittent fasting protocol, your body starts to get better at utilizing fat for fuel. And as a result, you're, you're starting to run off a different fuel source. It's like switching from petrol or diesel for your car. And 
that can be really supportive for some people because if you can balance out blood sugar levels and you get this balanced hormonal approach, it can be supportive in the sense that you're not craving really high carby foods or sugary foods later in the day. But there is one of the things I talk about in the book is if you're deciding you're going to follow an intermittent fasting protocol for body composition reasons to lose body fat, to build muscle, et cetera, whatever it is, check in with your body because some people need to give it a longer window of time. If you have someone like it's going to be easier to use the example of the crunching of cornflakes, not to hate on Kellogg's, but like any of those cereals, if you have someone who's, you know, and I like freaking hands up. I'm a Cocoa Pops. Cocoa Pops are lovely. Like I can't go wrong with a good old bowl of Cocoa Pops. But, you know, having those first thing in the morning, if you have someone who now makes the transition to intermittent fasting where they decide they're not going to eat till 12 o'clock, they are going to really struggle for a few weeks because you've gone from not only a a carbohydrate-based source, you've gone from an insulin-spiking, blood sugar-raising food choice to nothing. You're going to feel crap for 7, 10, 14, 21 days potentially until your body starts to flick that metabolic switch where it's now being able to run off an alternative fuel source, i.e. the fat on your body potentially. You know, again, I won't go into the, the hard science, you know, it's more ketones, it's breaking it down, et cetera, but that's what's happening. At, whereas if you have somebody who's gone from, you know, scrambled eggs every morning for the last few years, they're not going to struggle as much putting in intermittent fasting because they're not riding this blood sugar roller coaster anyway. They're going to get a little bit just because that's what happens when you eat any food, but it's not going to be as bad. So based on your starting point, you want to give yourself enough runway of time to even see if that strategy is going to be a good approach for you. Like I'm a big believer. I've been intermittent fasting for four years. Like I love it personally, but my goals aren't body composition related. I started intermittent fasting for performance because I got into ultra endurance in 2018 when I was training for Marathon de Saab, which is the six back-to-back marathons in the Sahara Desert. I was trying to make myself more fat adapted because I knew I was going to run out of food in the Sahara and I had to be able to roll and run off the fuel that was on my body, i.e. stored body fat, potentially even muscle to a degree. So I started intermittent fasting to prepare for that and loved the way it made me feel. I felt really clear in the morning. It fit into my schedule because I trained fasted in the morning before anybody's up. You know, my family, my daughter, my partner, my loved ones, everyone's normally asleep when I'm up and I'm working out and training. So it worked into my schedule. So it's something I've kept. But again, it becomes a different question slightly when it's body composition related because Intermittent fasting can enhance and increase your success with the body compositional change, particularly fat loss, because you're reducing your window of time that you're eating. You know, it's the same. The analogy I use in the book is it's the same as if three of us, if we all went out and we were trying to, you know, get a hole in one on the golf course. If I'm out there for an hour, David, you're out there for a day, and Kieran, you're out there for the next three days, we could all potentially get a hole in one. But my money's on Kieran, who's out there for three days. You, you, he's out there more. He's putting in more time to potentially get a hole in one on the golf course. That's how intermittent fasting is. You're reducing and compressing your window time, your time of eating, your eating window. So there's a chance you're consuming less calories within that window, and that's what's leading to fat loss. And I think understanding that can make you decide if it's going to be a good approach for you or not. So talk to us about intermittent fasting and maybe going to the gym or people playing sports and recovery because as far as being two physios, we would have always been looking at muscle protein synthesis, need to get some protein source in within a window after doing exertion, either that be lifting, either that be running or whatever, because that muscle breakdown occurs. Is there a risk that if you're doing your fasting and you have them long periods without taking in nutrients like protein, that you're reducing the effect of the exercise? 
it's not that you're necessarily, well, again, it depends on the exercise. There's probably a difference. There's no, probably there's a big difference between someone who's training for an ultra marathon versus someone who's trying to, you know, do strength training to support rugby or football, hurling, etc. Sprinter, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's going to be a little bit of a, a, a difference there with intermittent fasting. If you're following an intermittent fasting protocol, it's a case of making that system or strategy fit to the overall goal. And how I would approach that is if you're following a strict intermittent fasting for something like autophagy, um, for overall health, you know, I talked about this in my podcast in December with, um, Dr. William Shue, who's very similar to David Sinclair. His William Shue is more on the, the weight loss and body composition element of how it works for the fasting mimicking diet. Whereas, um, David Sinclair is more, um, longevity. I've, I've read his book. It's really good lifespan. I think it's called. And with, intermittent fasting for an athlete you have to determine what's your primary goal what's the the the, the priority you might have multiple goals but what's the primary goal because if it's health you're talking then you're trying to keep your body into you pushing into autophagy which means that you can't consume any micronutrients that knocks you out of that i.e you can't sip on essential amino acids or a protein shake or you know even a cup of coffee with some mct oil because it, it will knock you out of that state if you're doing it for scheduling reasons, it's different then. You know, you can do something like micro fasting, where if you're training in the morning, for example, because you're doing a strength workout for a sport and you're, you know, you're training again in the evening, but you want to keep that fasting protocol, you might apply something that's micro fasting based, which might look like no food, nothing that needs digestion, but stuff that still has caloric value. So an approach to that would be potentially something like a medium chain triglyceride, you know, a short chain fatty acid like MCT oil or coconut oil in a cup of coffee. So you're giving your body that energy source that it can pull from in terms of a fat source without going too much into it. The medium chain, the shorter the chain of the fatty acid, the faster it impacts energy in terms of how it affects your brain and performance, et cetera. So an MCT oil with coffee, and you might sip on something like an essential amino acid drink or even, you know, a branch chain amino acid drink. Again, as a supplement, branched amino acids can split. It really is context dependent. But in the case of an intermittent fasting protocol where you don't want performance to be negatively impacted and assuming you're factoring into your overall protein intake the rest of the day, it can be a good supplement to use in that window. And then you might use your protein shake after and then you fast for the next several hours. So you're at least minimizing the potential I won't say damage isn't the right word. You're minimizing the potential downsides of following an intermittent fasting protocol that doesn't impact your training. Or if you want to just keep it really simple, you know, you train and then you ha- you have your heating window after and then you cut it later in the day. So particularly for morning training, like you might you might train at 7 a.m. and then you're eating at 8 a.m. and then you're cutting your window at, you know, 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. and then you're fasting through the night and through the evening. So you can do it that way too. There's lots of different ways to do it. You're just looking to minimize any potential downsides, particularly as an athlete, that intermittent fasting can have. And the other thing, because I work with a lot of GA players as well in one of my programs, is realize it's not the best approach generally because if you're in a glycotic-based sport, something that's you know soccer, football, rugby, basketball, glycotic-based, meaning you're sprinting, you're stopping, you want to use carbohydrate as your main fuel source. So becoming more fat adaptive becomes considerably less supportive than say someone who's doing triathlon or running marathons where they want to keep that steady energy source coming and that's what dietary fat can do and you know or they're potentially switching yourself into a ketogenic state where you're primarily running off fat as a fuel source so it depends on the sport depends on the approach it's just minimizing the downsides based on what you want to do name someone who can get that much knowledge into five minutes no i was just gonna say i I suppose here's a guy who's 
gone to the Arctic Circle and ran for a couple of kilometers there. So it, it probably serves you well to understand what's going on with the fat and the carbs. Sure <laughs> Brian, we'd love to just really impressed with the, the depth there, the specialization with the nutrition. We'd love to come away for a minute and go big picture. And what we're, what we're so curious as well as to N equals one, right? Brian Keane is one person. And look at all the stuff you have going on. We're looking at your website. We're looking at, you know, Ladder Against the Right Wall, rewiring your mindset, your podcast, you know, lots of interesting people. You're on Harry there on the 10th of January. You've got your GA lean body. You've got your book, all this sort of stuff. How do you keep it all going to such such a high level? I mean, how can you manage to concentrate and give the focus so that they're each each doing well in their lanes? No, I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, no, I appreciate the kind words on that. That the high level, like in super subjective term for me, I, I would agree that we're able to try and keep things to a certain standard, which I'm always focusing on. To be honest, I'm the king of saying no to things. And I'm also, because of that superpower, a superpower that I learned, it makes it easier to say yes to the things that I love to do. So for the most part, everything you've mentioned there, books, podcasts, courses, programs, interviews, chatting with people, doing the appearances I get to do, they're all things I would do for free, things I absolutely love doing. So they don't take away from my life in any way. They fill me up. Now, of course, there's a danger in the dose approach. If I work round the clock all the time, you know, you get burnt out the same as anything. Like I love working out, but if I do it seven days a week, I get burnt out. And one, I generally ask anything I do, whether it's course related, program related, podcast related, book related, work or professional related, does this thing deplete me or does this thing fill me up? And I try and do considerably less of the things that deplete me. And if they do, I try and hire somebody else to do it. I'm in a fortunate position. Like, you know, I have a great team and I have people who, who help me. I've got people who are working in the business. I've got freelancers who work on the business. And anything that falls into, you know, my drudgery zone, I split things into my desire zone and drudgery zone. Desire zone is the things that I love to do. And the drudgery zone is the things I hate. So I don't like email. So you will not get me on email generally, maybe once a week. I have my team doing that. But you get me on Instagram DM. I check my Instagram DMs because I can chat to people properly on there. Yes, you do. Yeah, so I'm on there, you know. And so I'm clear on what's in my drudgery zone and I try to either automate it, um, eliminate it, or delegate it. So once I'm approaching and taking everything I do with that mindset and then asking these things under the desire zone that fill me up and don't deplete me, I'm just doing that consistently over time. And, you know, that's only a, a chunk of my life. I'm very fortunate with the family and friends. I have my partner and my daughter, you know, incredible people around me. Like they're the things that I love what I do. I absolutely love all the opportunities and the things I get to do. But at the end of the day, they're it's lower down on the list of my priorities. My priorities is, you know, being a dad, being the partner I'm supposed to be being with my family, being showing up the way I'm supposed to with them. So if I, as long as I don't lose sight of that, everything else just feels like bonus territory because they're all things that I love to do. So although from the outside, it might look like I'm doing a lot and we probably are, I'm pretty good with productivity and batching tasks, etc. But it's, it's all because it's stuff I love to do. And again, I'm in a fortunate position. I wasn't always like that when I was working as a primary school teacher, like that felt like work. I knew every Friday I was going home for the weekend and I knew every Sunday I'd have to go back to work on Monday where I don't really feel like that anymore and I haven't in years. So I'm in a very fortunate position. I know not everyone's in that bracket, um, but it is something that was a goal once upon a time that I've since kind of hit and now it's just a case of doubling down on what's working. 
Look, it's it's so profound. Like we talk a lot about energy and you know where where you could be leaking from it and kind of where you do get your energy. And it sounds like there's there's a lot to be said for that for people listening to this that all those different working projects are all giving you energy and they're not detracting from it. Which brings to the next question, the acronym of WIN, W-I-N. What's important now? And, you know, that that could go any which way, Brian, but curious as to what is important now. Yeah, I got this from Paul O'Connell, the the rugby player, the former Irish rugby player, that when they had big games for Munster Ireland, he said his way of getting himself back into the present moment so he could focus on the game was just how can I win, which is acronym W-I-N, what's important now. And when I heard that, I remember thinking, okay, that that's really useful. As somebody that can struggle a little bit with paralysis by analysis, where you're if you have a big goal, and this is a bit of a catch-22, where if you're setting a big goal for yourself, whatever it is, you know, a weight loss goal, a sporting goal, performance goal, getting onto a certain team, um, your book status on bestseller lists or whatever it is, I can get into my own head a little bit and have that analysis by paralysis where I'm thinking too much about it and overthinking it that it leads to inaction. And my way around that is asking, okay, how can I win? What's important now? What's the thing I need to do right now that's going to help me with that goal? What's the step I can take in this current moment that will help me with the goal? For the case of you know the book for the keen edge, what people looking to do is body fat. Is it going for a walk? Is it checking in with your hunger levels? Is it emotional hunger versus physical hunger? Is it you know talking to a coach or a trainer online or in the gym who could potentially help you? Is it listening to a podcast to get yourself into the right mind space for the following day? What's important now? What can I do right now that will help me with my ultimate end goal? And I think it works in all areas. You know, I do it a lot with my GA players who struggle with performance anxiety, you know, where they're like, you know, particularly free takers and things along those lines. I'm like, you focus on what's important now. What can you do? You put yourself into the present moment. You don't worry about the free that's gone five minutes ago this is a new one. You're resetting and you're going again. So those tools that work for people in the realm of diet and nutrition and fat loss, et cetera, also work in sporting performance. Um, And as I said, I got it from Paul O'Connell. So I took it directly from that and I do it in my own life. I apply it anytime I'm working towards something business related where I'm getting a bit overwhelmed. You know, last week, you know, a lot of I was on a lot of appearances in a row, some TV stuff, some radio stuff, some one after the other, bang, 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 bang. And I can get a little bit overwhelmed at times, but then I'll just focus on what's important now. So for me, it was, to be honest, it was just as basic as breathing. I was doing the Navy SEALs breathing technique, that four seconds in, four seconds pause, four seconds out, just trying to shut down my sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight response a bit, calm down a bit, and then I was able to go again. So that approach transcends into a lot of different areas that could potentially help people but in the case of nutrition it's for people who are struggling to get started with a plan or who have a lot of weight they want to lose or they're 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 daunting daunted or worried about everything that might potentially have to change that it leads them to complete inaction but it also works in the sporting realm and from my case it works with the business realm and you know showing up and making sure that i'm present whatever it is i'm doing so it shows up in lots of different ways i've one last one and building on that a bit but also most of the messages you delivered today, you have a huge level of self-awareness into what you like and what gives you energy, what fills you up, as you said earlier. And this kind of comes inspired by a mutual friend, Gary O'Daly, who's Gaz Gaelic guide on Instagram. You've had him on the Lean Body podcast. He changed his career from what he was doing and to focus on what he really liked to do. But again, 
speaking to him, he was talking about, I had to find out what that was because people have a problem with saying no sometimes, not because they're being kind, because they don't really know what they should be focusing on. How did you develop the self-awareness to know, okay, this is what Brian Keane likes to do. I want to write a book or I want to start a podcast. How did you find out what really filled up your buckets? I love it. I'm, I'm actually going to go one better and tell you what I did for, with Gaz as well, because Gaz works for me. Gaz is part of my team. Oh, brilliant. Um, he's amazing. He's absolutely phenomenal. And he's a good guy, I'm right? helping him with his business stuff, Gaz Gaelic Guide. And for anyone that wants help with their GA and Gaelic performance, Gaz's stuff is incredible. So go check him out for sure. Um, but it was similar to what I did. And when it comes to what fills you up and, you know, when your buckets, when I was working full time as a primary school teacher, and I qualified in, I think it was 2010, maybe just before then. And I didn't love my first teaching job. To, to, it's a bit of an understatement. I really didn't like my first teaching job. And just to put it that way. And I came home that Christmas. And I'd been working four months in a year three classroom. I was working in London at the time as a teacher before I came back to Ireland. And I remember chatting to my mom and I was, I was being a miserable cunt. Like I was, I was just like, I was like, you know, when you get so down and you, I like, you don't realize how you're being around people. Like, and I was, that was me, you know, I was like the misery loves company. I was like, who else is miserable? I was like, find other people who are miserable and I'll be miserable with them. But I was chatting to my mom who was the complete opposite of that. And she could tell that I really didn't like what I was doing. And just in a general conversation, she asked me, well, one, a line that I use with a lot of people, and she said this in a very loving way, but it was, you know, you're not a fucking tree if you don't like where you are, move. And <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, point taken. But then she followed it up with a very profound, well, what would you do for free? And that's what led me on the journey of doing what I'm doing now. And it's still a question I ask myself today. And that was, you know, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. And I said I'd work in a gym for free. I was like, I'd love to do something in fitness. And I had a thought experiment at the time that if I was sweeping the floor in a gym, it meant I was working for the gym, which means that my gym rent would have been free. I would have been able to train in the gym for free. I was like, that would be amazing. And like that one thought was something so foreign to me that I would just be happy cleaning the floor in a gym. But then obviously I went down the route of, you know, how can I potentially make a career out of this? And I went and signed up to a fitness instructor course and then loved it. Like instantly fell in love with the idea of being in the fitness industry, health industry, wellness industry. It's evolved over the years, but at the time fitness industry. And then I went and did all my qualifications. I went down the personal training route, strength and conditioning route, sports nutrition route. And I still ask that question to this day when I'm asking, would I do this for free? If I'm sitting down to write a new book and I'm feeling filled up when I write, I'm like, awesome. I'm going to keep going with this. Cause I've started three or four books. Like this is my third one, but I've started three or four of the books and I've got maybe 10,000 words in and go, no, don't want to do this anymore. This actually is depleting me. And I just, I scrap it. And sometimes you need to scratch the itch a little bit and, you know, take the first few steps towards the thing you think that you want because otherwise you won't know if you want to do it or not. And this shows up in all the goals I set for myself. It's the same with, you know, races. I was training for an Ironman in 2020, an Ironman triathlon. And that, that takes a lot of time. An Ironman triathlon is, a, uh, I think it's 2.2 mile swim. I've forgotten now, um, 118 mile cycle and a marathon to finish 26.2 miles. And it got canceled. 
And then I was training to do it again in 2021. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do an Ironman. I was like, that that's eating into my time and eating into my day. And there's no guarantee it'll go ahead based on things that are going on in the world. And if I hadn't taken the first step towards it, I wouldn't really know if I didn't want to do it or not. So I think there's an element of getting clear on what would you do for free? What's something you would enjoy doing? Whether that's, a, you know, something fitness, like I said, with, you know, Ironman or triathlon for me and transitioning into that, or if it's business related, or if it's, you know, diet related or nutrition related in the case of, you know, both of you lads with intermittent fasting, try it, see it, see if it works, educate yourself on the front end, similar to what I was talking about with intermittent fasting. Like you need to know that your starting point plays a role in how you're going to feel. So know that if you've switched from Cocoa Pops every morning to intermittent fasting, you're going to struggle more than someone who's switching from eggs or porridge to an intermittent fasting approach. But that's just arming yourself with the, the tools on the front end and then testing it to see and always be testing. You know, ABT is what I talk about in some of my business courses. Like always be testing things, see what you enjoy because it changes. Like what you enjoy doing and what you like doing and what fulfills you changes. There was a time when training for multiple hours a day fulfilled me loads i loved that and now with a daughter and a partner and a business that's doing really well and writing books and having chats it doesn't make sense for me to train three hours a day it just doesn't doesn't make any sense for me that once filled me up that now depletes me because it puts me under stress for the rest of the day you know so assuming i'm not training for an race or an event i don't do that anymore so that can change and checking back in with it regularly is there is a way of doing that and similar to when gaz made the change you know i asked him you know, what would you do for free? He's like, I'd love to work with GA players. So that was the start of that point and that question. And the other, you know, well, what would you regret more? Because he was making the transition from, you know, a pretty good job to work with me and my team. And I asked him, I was like, well, what would you regret more? I'm like, 97-year-old deathbed. You're on your deathbed, 97 years old. I'm like, would you regret not making the jump trying to start your own thing because you were afraid? That was my, that was effectively the same thing that happened to me. Like, I had the was safe and secure in the knowledge that if fitness didn't work, I could always go back to being a teacher. No one could take that away from me. I had my degree, I had my experience, and I could work as a teacher, but I would have regretted not making the transition into fitness and giving that a real go. Like it took me three attempts. You know, I went broke twice before I got it off the ground, but it took me three attempts, but it would have been a regret if I hadn't done it. And merging those two questions together, what would I do for free with what would you regret on your 97-year-old deathbed can give you a lot of clarity in the decisions that you should potentially be making. Brian, thanks for sharing that that last piece too. Um, and the vulnerability that's really coming through here. We're, we're here in the Insight Cover last question and looking through everything, personal trainer, sports nutritionist, SNC, model, podcast, Arctic, Marathon de Sable, all these things you've done, like what you said before, to such a high level and a dad and a partner above it all. Last question, what does high performance mean to you, Brian Keane? High performance means that when I'm on, I'm on. I'm at 10 out of 10, but when I'm off, I'm off. And that might sound a little bit paradoxical, but one of the ways that I'm able to, from my subjective lens, perform at a high level is when I'm doing something, I'm all in on it. If I'm on a podcast, I'm all in with the conversation, being present in the moment. If I'm in a training session, I'm not checking my phone. I'm in the training session and I'm committing to getting done what I need to get done. But equally, when I'm not doing that, I'm off. I'm, I don't, 
and try not to think about work tasks when I'm with my family. I try not to think about an interview that's making me nervous when I'm playing Lego with my daughter. I, I'm, when I'm off, I'm off. And when I'm on, I'm on. And that's what high performance means to me. Brian, thanks very much for joining us. We got loads from that. Really enjoyed it. Especially, I feel like we both had a private consultation into intermittent fasting. So <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot for that. Cheers, Brian. My pleasure. Thanks so much again, lads. Thanks, Brian. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.